Well, we welcome all of you. If you're visiting this morning, we welcome you to New Life. We're thankful that you came and were, are in service with us this morning. You are in for a treat, and uh, I, I uh, pray that you have been blessed already. Got a few announcements we want to make real quick before we receive the offering. Uh, Street Ministry is having Showers of Grace on February 3rd. If you'd like to help, please see Kyle. And for those of you that don't know, they all of the people that are homeless and back behind the tracks and in the tunnels, they come out. And we have uh, collaborated with a, another church and a, and a college that uh, comes together and and. We try to feed them. We try to clothe them. They have a, a trailer that has showers in it, two different showers. It's self-contained. It's actually quite a rig, if you will, and uh, how it's set up. And, and the homeless come, and they're able to take a shower. And you know, um, what may seem like something that's so small or may seem insignificant to us, it's something that makes them feel human again, I can tell you. I remember my wife told me this, and I believe it came from one of the boys or somebody that they said, when you come down here and you visit us, we, it makes us feel like we're human because we're treated like, you know, that we're just, that we're not worth throwing away. But you make us feel human. You make us feel like, like we are of some value. And that's, that's the love of God right there. That's the love of Christ. And uh, so I encourage you, if you want to be a part of this, there's a lot of, of work that goes into it. And so come out and you can minister. You know, everybody wants to go and they want to minister. I can tell you that the, the fields are wide and ripe and ready for harvest. You can go on the streets. You say, well, you know, what about the Spanish-speaking people? I can tell you, I've been down to Home Depot, and I promise you, there's 50 people standing on that parking lot you can minister to. If you feel so inclined by the Lord and you feel so moved with compassion, go down there and start ministering to him. I have. I've passed out tracts before. Brother Carlos uh, that passed away in uh, Mazatlan went there, and I had a whole uh, a van full of bread. You know, I don't know. I had about 30 or 40 loaves of bread that that uh, uh, Bob Becerra had given me when he worked at Millie's over in, uh, over in Brea, and I had all that Texas toast, and I thought, man, we're going to have some French toast, amen, and it's going to be, you know, two inches thick there, and I was just thinking, man, I can't wait to sink my teeth into that bread, and we went down here, and Carlos jumped out of that car immediately. He said, who are all these people? I said, they came across the border. They're looking for work. I said, and, and they're standing here, you know, trying to get work, and and he jumped out of that, that van that quick, and he just began to minister to them, and he opened up the trunk of my van, and he grabbed out that bread, and he started telling them Jesus is the bread of life. And he's giving out those loaves of bread. And, 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 and next thing you know, my, tra my, my van's empty. Amen. Ain't a loaf of bread in the back of my van. And he ministered to them. He had 30 men standing in a circle praying. And I'm just standing there watching him. And I, we got in the van, and I said, Carlos, you're extraordinary. He said, we serve an awesome God. He said, don't tell me there's not a mission field. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. I said, brother, thank you. You ministered to me today. You know, you have to just see them. You can't, you can't look beyond them. You have to see them. They're right there in front of you. And then I told him, I said, but brother, you gave all my bread away. He said, God will give you some more. We always laugh about that. He would tell me, remember whenever I gave all your bread away, I said, yes. I, I'm, I'm reminded of that, but that is a memory etched in, um, upon my heart and in my mind. I love it. 
I'm so grateful. God will begin to give back unto you as you begin to give. And uh, I just want to say to you to, today as we uh, receive this offering, be faithful in your giving. Um, be faithful. This church is in existence because not because God has a printing press in heaven, but because people who are Christians and born-again believers are faithful in their tithes and their offerings and their giving unto missions. And, uh, and so I encourage you this morning, obey the word of God. This isn't pastor's command. It isn't my desire. It's God's word, and we must give. And as God has done so much in our lives by his grace, how much more, Paul said, should we do? Should we, should we abound in this grace? And so, you know, begin to give. Give cheerfully. Give. Amen. Pray over that offering and say, God bless this. Let it go. Don't give begrudgingly, but give cheerfully. Somebody's going to come to the Lord because of the offering that you give. It's going to further the gospel and the reach across the world and here even locally. And so the church will stay open because people are faithful. And you know, the Bible says in Malachi that there will be meat in my house. You want to know why there's the word preached and you receive good, rich word. You receive uh, the gospel preached because there's meat in the house where people are faithful to give. He said, I'll, there will be meat, amen. I'll pour out that meat or give that meat unto you and you'll feast upon that and grow. And so I just encourage you this morning, give and God will bless you. I appreciate all the giving during the conference that this morning is our tithe and offering and missions. And I, I just, I know that the Lord's word is, is is true. He cannot lie. He says in his word that he'll pour out a blessing you cannot contain. But do it because God has done so much for you and his word commands us to do it. But we want to be faithful and give back unto him. He loves us today. Amen. And he'll bless you so you can have more and, and, and continue to be a greater blessing. I almost missed this here. Hold on. Let me put my glasses on. February 9th is our men's fellowship. At 5.30 p.m., there will be a sign-up sheet on Thursday. If you have any questions about it, see Roger, because Roger is now over our men's ministry. And so February 9th, <laughs> men's fellowship at 5.30 p.m., and there will be a sign-up sheet. And, uh, and that is all of our announcements. Everything else will be on the PowerPoint. And praise the Lord this morning. I'm going to ask this morning, amen, if, uh, if Brother... Stevie, amen, back there. I know, I'll give you a second, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, I'm going to ask him this morning to pray over this offering, and I know that the Lord's going to bless it, and he's going to bless you, amen. God bless you today. He walked on the sea and the shores of Galilee. He healed the many sick and he set the captives free. And he still lives today. Oh, he lives inside of me. He's the Prince of Peace, 
the King of kings, and he's my Savior. Yes, indeed. He's my Savior. Yes, indeed. For my wicked soul is free from the clutches of the devil by his blood from Calvary. And now I must go on and do my best to serve him. Now you see, he's the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and he's my Savior, yes indeed. Well, he's my Savior, yes indeed, for my wicked soul is free from the clutches of the devil by his blood from Calvary. Now I must go on and do my best to serve Him. Now you see, He's the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and He's my Savior, yes indeed. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, worship team. At this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids, and they can go to their class. And worship team, thank you so much. Did you not enjoy the worship team this week? Amen. As they begin to praise the Lord. I knew it'd turn on eventually. Jesse, could you give me a little more monitor up here? Amen. Well, my dear, dear, dear friend, amen, that has been with us all week, is here again this morning, and I'm so grateful to have Pastor Lee. He's a friend to me like none other in the ministry, and I appreciate him so much. I love you, Carla. I love you. Love their church. Amen. What a blessing he's been to me. But I don't want to take up any more time. I want to hear him speak. I want to hear him. Give him a hand this morning as he comes. Praise the Lord. Amen. I would like to thank you for demonstrating the love of Jesus to Carla and I while we've been here. It's just really been wonderful. We've, we just extend to you as well. Our love for you, and I'm delighted to be here. It's been a wonderful week for us. I think I needed new life more than you needed me uh, this week for sure. It was just really a blessed time, and thank you for receiving us. And all of the ministry was just excellent. Just hard to put words to what God does, but just stunning, you know, just the worship, everything. Father, I thank you that you would have your way this morning. 
I pray for your people. Lord, I love your people. I love your church. I love these that are here today. Lord, you love them. You care about them. You understand the strategies of the enemy. You also understand the calling that you have on their life. That you are the good shepherd. You lead us to still waters. You lead us to green pastures. But sometimes, oftentimes to get there, you take us through dangerous territory. Take us through the night when we can't see so well. But you're always there. And you always love us. And I pray for your people. Father, that in these last days they would have a supernatural faith, a strength in their faith that will not falter, that would not waver, that would not fail. And we give you all the glory for that, the power of your Holy Spirit to give us faith, to walk in grace, to walk in a reliance upon you, but in a fellowship with you. And I just pray you help me this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I wanted to just read a, a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 15 is an exciting chapter because it talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we who hope in Jesus are of all men most miserable. Um you know, if, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, we're still in our sins. You might as well eat, drink, and be merry. But now Jesus is raised from the dead. And so that transcends, you know, just temporary pleasure, right? And comfort because Jesus lives. And then he talks about not only is Jesus raised from the dead, but there's also going to be a resurrection. And that resurrection is going to transform us. And we're going to be different, we who believe in Jesus, because in 1 Corinthians 15, he says very clearly that corruption cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and mortality also has to be dealt with if we're going to live forever with God. And so we call this event when we take off this corruption and put on incorruption, we call this event the rapture of the church. And we believe that that is imminent, which simply means it could happen at any moment. There's a lot that has to happen before Jesus returns to earth the second time. There's a lot of events that need to take place, but there's nothing that has to happen for the rapture to occur. And so this event that Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 15 where we are changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, and we put on incorruption and we put on immortality. That is dressing us, if you will, in order for us to live forever and ever with God, no longer dealing with sin or the temptation of sin or the struggle of sin or conflict with the death. All of that is over. Um, when that happens, the Bible says in 1 John 3 that we are going to be like him. Now, we're not going to be like God. We're going to be like the man Christ. Jesus is eternally God, but 2,000 years ago, he was incarnate. 
And the second person of the Trinity became a man. And he is in heaven now. He's never stopped being God. He's still God. But he's in heaven now at the right hand of the Father as a man. There's one mediator between men and God. That is the man, Christ Jesus. So we're going to be like him. We're going to receive a body like his, a glorified body. Not a body of flesh and blood, but a body of flesh and bone. And there's, there's just practically no limitations to this body that we're going to receive. And so that is our hope. We hope for this. We, we await this. We know that this is going to happen. So he brings us to the end of chapter 15, and he makes this uh, very important statement. And if, if you will allow me, I'm going to start at verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption... And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Pay attention. The strength of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, because there's going to be times you want to quit, times you don't want to go on. We, we have these mountaintop experiences like conferences and conventions and things, and it's wonderful, and then it's like sometimes some of you just... You're back down in the valley. You just, you just want to, no, be steadfast because a change is coming. It's coming. It's going to take place. Be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, you got to know that. And not everybody knows that. Some people, you just think you're working for the church. Others, you're working for recognition. Others, you're working to try to gain God's favor. And that's a miserable way to live. That's not the new covenant way. You are to continue laboring for God because you know that none of this is in vain. And it's, it's not your measurement on it. It's God's measurement on it. But I want to focus upon this. He says in verse 57 that thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the context of this chapter, I want to explain to you what victory is. So in the context of this chapter, there are certain things that have to happen for humans if they're not going to be defeated and they're going to be given victory. There are certain things that have to happen. Number one, the corruption in you has got to be defeated. You cannot see God in your corruption. You cannot enter the kingdom of God in your corruption. We are all corrupt. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. And so sin wants to be paid. Sin is an enemy. God told Cain, he said, sin lies at your door and it desires you. 
So when sin sets its desire on you and operates in your life, sin is doing it with this in mind, payday. And what sin wants is for you to die. That's what sin wants. And so the strength of sin is what? It's the law. Now, the law is not bad, and the law is not sinful. The law is good. The law is righteous. The law is holy. The law is just. But the problem with the law is we can't do it. And so the law says, do this and live. Don't do this, and you die. Well, we didn't do it. And if you fail in one part of the law, you fail in all of it. So if you've told a little white lie, then you've had other gods before God, and you had, you had theft and murder in your heart. Everything is there in humanity, though, though it may never have played out in your life that you've actually killed somebody. Jesus came along and said, if you hate somebody in your heart, you have murder. You just haven't had that that environment of opportunity to actually kill somebody. But were it given to you, there's nothing you wouldn't do. So don't point your finger at people as though they're worse than you. And so all of us fell short of what the law required. We didn't do it. And that's why the Bible says, by the law, the law of Moses, which is good and holy and just, By the law of Moses, no flesh will be justified. So if you will, at the bar of God, God being the judge, sin being being your prosecutor, demanding its wages of death is going to appeal to God's law and demand your death. And because God is just, He cannot break his law. And though he loves you and he doesn't want you to die, God, in order to be just, cannot ignore your sin. He cannot put his law away because he loves you or God would cease to be God and he would cease to be just. He has to enact his law. So corruption has to be dealt with us. Mortality has to be dealt with in us. Sin has to be dealt with in us, which gets its strength from the law, so the law has to be dealt with. And how can any one of us even begin to have victory in any of those areas? How can any of you deal with your corruption? How can any of you deal with the fact that you're going to die? You can't make yourself live forever. And how can any of you rewrite a law that God will accept and throw his law out? And how can any of us, through any measure of good works, erase one of our sins? We are doomed and we are hopeless. We are defeated and we're facing destruction. But God has intervened on our behalf. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ because God, through his son Jesus Christ, he dealt with everything that was defeating us. Through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, God dealt with our corruption. God dealt with our mortality. God dealt with our sin and he dealt with the law. 
On the cross of Jesus, Colossians says that was nailed to his cross was the writing of the ordinances that was against us. That's the law. God did not ignore his law. God fulfilled his law in Jesus Christ and the righteous, holy, perfect, sinless Son of God, Son of Man, died as the Lamb of God for us. Therefore, the law is fulfilled, and whoever comes to God through Jesus Christ has gone through the death of Jesus, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. The law is satisfied, and in His resurrection, we are raised to new life, never to be judged again. And so, this is... What Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. My corruption's dealt with, my mortality's dealt with, my sin is dealt with, and the demand of the law to judge me is all dealt with through the person of Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to be moved from this. This is where I'm going to live. This is my faith. I want to read one more passage in 1 John chapter 5. Again, this is talking about victory, and I, want, I just want to talk about victory for a moment. The Bible says in 1 John 5, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loves him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. So I want you to hold on. He's not putting us back under the law of Moses. This is the law of Christ. This is a new covenant law. And so if you're not careful, you might read chapter 4, verse 21, and chapter 5, verse 3, and you might go back to Moses and try to keep the laws that you can't keep. Your ability to fulfill the commands of Christ is predicated upon the fact that you are born again. And when you are born again, you know what happens? You love God. And the evidence that you love God is you love the brothers that you see. You can say all you want that you love God whom you haven't seen, but the evidence that you really do love God is by loving the church. You would no sooner slap Jesus in the face as you would slap the body of Christ in the face. You would no, no, no more go on Facebook or social media and slander Jesus Christ than you would go on social media and slander another person in the body of Christ. Because you love God, and because you love God, you love people. And so I just want to say this to you, because in context, as John writes his book, he's already told us what the command of Jesus is. So it's already been given in chapter 3 what the command is. He's just bringing it back to our remembrance. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, 
and love one another as he gave us commandment. That's it. That's the new covenant commandment for those that are in Christ Jesus, that we believe in him and we love one another. And how do we do that? We believe in God because of the testimony of God through his son. We cannot save ourselves. Therefore, we have thrown all of our hope on this one Jesus Christ that he really is God's sacrificial lamb for us. And then when we make that belief, that faith in him, we are born of the spirit of God. And when we're born of God, the love of God comes into us. And now we have the commandment, exercise that love to one another. He's not telling you to do something you can't. He's telling you to do something with the love of God he's already given you. Don't say you can't love other people unless you're prepared to say that I'm prepared to die and go to hell because I don't love God. So don't say you can't love other people, but believe that because you're born of God and the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in your heart the love of God, I can, by the grace of God and the power of God's Spirit, exercise the love that he's given me to other people. God can do this through me. It's there. God can do this. Now, we all grow in love. Not everybody's at the same place. There are those that grow and mature in love. And it's getting stronger and stronger in their life. And there's more compassion in their life. So don't judge yourself by other people. And somebody's like just really all out there, you know, sacrificing and loving and everything else. And, and you're judging yourself by them. No, you just get with God and God begins to deal with you about people who have hurt you, people who have forsaken you, people that you're bitter with, people that you have unforgiveness. The Holy Spirit begins to deal with that in your life. And you know, you say, God, you're right. I agree with you. These are situations in my life. And God says, you're, you're, you're constraining the love that I have in you. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to forgive them. God, it is right that I forgive them, but I cannot do this without your help. I need you to give me the strength. I need you to give me the grace, God, to release them from what they did to me. Whether, they, whether it goes well or whether it goes bad, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to offer to them forgiveness and reconciliation. At that point, God, it's up to them what they do with it. But as far as it's possible with me, I'm going to be at peace with all men. But God, you've got to help me do that. I cannot do that in my own strength. And God, the Holy Ghost, as you claim, is in you. I trust me, he's going to go to work in you. He's going he's to let you run into him on aisle three at the grocery store, right? Just something's going to happen in, in that condition and, and in that situation. So I lay this out for you because I want you to understand that we are living in perilous times. And God only knows what this year may bring for us. Perhaps the rapture of the church. Certainly confusion and conflict and division with this election that we have coming up. And, and the state that our world is in, there's a lot. There's a lot of talk about deliverance. There's a lot of talk about, you know, freedom in Christ. And as, as, as though freedom in Christ is some modern day apostle touching me. And now I've got freedom. There is a battle with your flesh. There is a battle with Satan that you are going to fight until you put on incorruption and immortality. 
as long as you live in this world, you're going to fight hell. You're going to have conflict with the powers of darkness. There are going to be demons that try to harass you, but you've already been given victory. It's yours. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that we do fight against principalities and powers, but stand, stand therefore in the power of his might. I'm standing in, I'm not trying to win a victory. It has been won by Jesus and the cross. It has been given to me. I don't have to fear devils. I don't have to fear these things, but I will fight them. There will be conflict with them. There will be situations, as I pray, Jesus leads us beside still waters. But sometimes in order to get us there, he has to take us through some desert land. And that's where a lot of people bail out. And if you've ever seen some of these pictures of people climbing Mount Everest, if you will, and you see the people that didn't make it and they're frozen in, in the thing, they just, they just, they couldn't go anymore. They just froze right there and their bodies are still there. Spiritually speaking, there are people who left Jesus in the desert because it was too hard and it was too hot and it was too dry and Jesus isn't coming through for me and Jesus has failed me and all of this Christian stuff, it just doesn't work. And, and they think they're going to forsake Jesus and go back to a better way. Their bones are in the desert. They didn't make it anywhere. They didn't turn from Jesus and find life. We've got to keep walking with him. He's going to lead us to our high places. He's going to lead us to green pastures. He's going to lead us to still waters. But sometimes we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and his rod and his staff are going to comfort me and he'll prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But sometimes I have to be in the presence of my enemies. I don't always get to be with New Life Church. And when I'm in the presence of my enemies, I'm not looking for the victory. I'm looking for my table that God has set for me because I can be still and know that he's the God. The battle is his and it's not mine. It's already been won by Jesus Christ. So you have to know you have faith, but you have to know what your faith is. And, and, and it is my simple desire today to just help you in your faith understand what victory is. Because if you don't understand what victory is, you don't know what to believe for. And therefore, oftentimes what you pray for is not God's definition of victory, and you're going to accuse God of failing you. You're going to accuse God of not loving you. You're going to accuse God of not caring. And that's just the furthest thing from God's heart. So you have to understand what victory is. And that's what I want you to know because faith ends in sight. So I want to go to this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. This is in 2 Timothy. And I love this letter. I would say that chapter 4 of 2 Timothy is one of my favorite portions of his letter. And I just want you to read, if you will. We're gonna, it's, it's lengthy. If you would just want to listen, you can. But I'm going to begin in verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered. And underscore the word offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them that also, also that love his appearing. Do your diligence, make every effort, hurry up, don't be distracted, get to me as fast as you can. Read this. Read the, read the passion in his voice. Read the betrayal. Read the forsaking. Read the pain that Paul experienced. Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus is in Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Tychicus I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus when you come, bring it with you. And the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also, for he has greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And a couple of lines down in verse 21, do your diligence to get here before winter. Well, he's living in a dungeon. And many have described the dungeon as an airy, wet place where he is exposed to the weather. Very uncomfortable. And Paul says, get here before winter. If it's possible, hurry up. Just don't be distracted. Don't delay. Pick up my coat when you come. Pick up John, Mark when you come. Bring the books. Bring the parchment. Get here as fast as you can. Everybody's gone. I'm all alone. Winter's coming. It's going to be cold. I'll be exposed to the elements again. I think about this passage of, 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 of Scripture, and Paul says, which, which I think is startling. I, I don't know about you, but he says in verse 18, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me to his heavenly kingdom. How does he say that? How, how in the world does this man say that? Is he a lunatic? Is he, is he living in some kind of life that 
he's, he's somehow not understanding reality? He already said to Timothy that I'm about to be offered. I'm not going to lay me down to sleep. I'm going to be offered. I'm going to die sacrificially. In other words, Timothy, get here as fast as you can. They're cutting my head off in the spring. They're cutting my head off. But God will deliver me from every evil work. How does he say that? And and just a few verses earlier, he said, listen, I've got to warn you about this guy, Alexander. He did me much evil. But God will deliver me from every evil work. Come on, Paul. What are you talking about? Do you not understand how many positive messages preachers are going to take from verse 18 and try to develop in people's lives that if you follow Jesus Christ, all you're going to know is prosperity. You're not going to have any difficulty. You're not going to have any harm. You're not going to have any problems in your life. How can you say verse 18 when you just said that the whole church forsook you? The pain that that, that, that just tore through you when, when Alexander was standing against you in the public marketplace and not one person from the church of Jesus Christ wanted to associate with you, Paul. They all left you. How do you say God will deliver me from every evil work? I don't understand it. I, 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 I'm, I'm being honest. Me, I'm, I'm, this intrigues me. Obviously, Paul knows something that I need to know. Obviously, Paul knows something you need to know. Living in 2024, in the most perilous times the world has ever known, on the eve of the greatest tribulation the world has ever seen, as the movement of Antichrist is happening all over the chessboard, you need to know what Paul knows. And I want to share that with you. I don't understand how he can say it. His testimony to the Corinthians was, I've been in death often. I've despaired for my life. I've been in prison. I've been beat times without number. Five times I was whipped by the Jews. Three times I was beat with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I floated in the ocean for a night and a day. I've been in frequent journeys, and every one of them puts me in danger. Dangers in the rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers among the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. And my work, oh my God, my work. You want to talk about work? You want to talk about being tired? You want to talk about hardships? Sleepless nights? Paul knows them. Hunger and thirst. Days I've gone without food. Days I've gone without water. No no mention ever of God forsaking him or doing him evil. I've been often without food. I've been in cold and I've been in exposure. And oh, if you want to know what, what really gets to me the most, if you want to know what harasses me the most, 
the greatest pain, the greatest, the, the heaviest burden that I have to bear. You know what it is? How is the church doing? How are you doing? What's really going on in your mind? What's really going on in your heart? What, what, what does your faith really look like? How many of you are going to leave me this month? How many of you are going to walk out of my life and, and don't even say goodbye? We just hear that you're in another church or you're down the road somewhere. And, and that haunts the preacher. It haunts Paul. He certainly understands being forsaken. Demas left me. Wow. That's, that's painful, Paul, but... Man, I, I, I pastored a church for 37 years. I've had a lot of people leave me. Well, Paul would say, well, then let me tell you this. The whole church, everybody forsook me. Nobody wanted to associate with Paul. I would imagine at Paul's funeral, there was not many people there. Maybe a handful of people. Maybe Timothy, maybe John Mark and Luke and perhaps Titus. Maybe a couple of other people that, that would have come and maybe attended Paul's headless funeral. He's a hero today. He wasn't then. He confused the people. He was in jail all the time. People were going around behind his back saying, this guy's not an apostle, he's an imposter. He's a, he's a fraud. He's not the real deal. And, they, and, and, and when Paul would establish a church and leave the church and, and go on a missionary journey, these false teachers would come in and they would rip the church apart. Little whisperers here, little whisperers there, little gossip here, little slander there, and, and the church would begin to be split apart and they would be divided and... People say, well, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, and others, well, I follow Jesus only. All this pious religion that was going on. And Paul has the audacity to say, I know that God will deliver me from every evil work. Talk to me, Paul. Because I can identify not to the degree of your suffering, but I can identify with the suffering. But I need to know verse 18. Talk to me, Paul. Well, Lee, if I have fought with the beast of Ephesus and there is no resurrection, then it was all in vain. And if in this life only, son, we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But Lee, Jesus lives. My hope lives. My life is immortal. My corruption is temporary. Jesus it's coming for me. 
No matter what devils do, no matter how much a church forsakes me, whether nobody's at my funeral or two million people are at my funeral, it does not matter. He loves me. For I know that all things work together for good to those who are called of the Lord, those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And those that he called, he justified. And those that he justified, he glorified. And what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who is he that condemns us when Christ has justified us and is risen and is seated at the right hand of God? I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any created thing can ever, Ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen. And Paul would say to me, Lee, that's victory. That's victory. That is God delivering me from every evil work. sitting in this dungeon of a prison, waiting for them to take my head off. Here's my report, Timothy. I've run my race. I finished and I kept the faith. Everything that Satan intended to do to take my faith didn't work. Nothing has separated me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. The abuse did not separate me from his love. The whippings with the rods did not separate me from the love of God. Being stoned did not separate me from the love of God. Floating around in the ocean a day and a night, it did not separate me from God. The care of the churches did not separate me from God. Demas going back to the world did not separate me from God. The church forsaking me did not forsake me from the love of God because when they all left me, God stood with me. God strengthened me. God did. And this is victory on God's terms. I read it to you in 1 Corinthians 15. God dealt with our corruption and he dealt with mortality and he dealt with sin and he dealt with the law. I read it in 1 John. Our victory is this, that by our faith we overcome the world. And what is our faith? We believe in Jesus Christ. And the evidence of that belief, that born-again experience is that we love one another. God loves me. This is victory. God loves me. This is victory. Some of you hopes he does. I hope God loves you. 
But the victory is knowing that he dies. Victory is not the theology that God loves me. Victory is not even my ability to teach a Bible study on God's love for me. Victory is being in the love of God where I know more than I know you are sitting in this room that he loves me. My victory is not the greatness of my love for him. It's the steadfastness of his love for me. I I went through the most hellacious conflict spiritually that I've ever been through. I begged God before he showed me what I was going to go through. I begged him to not let it happen. He explained to me to the degree that he wanted me to know what I was about to walk through. It would be years of my life. I would experience forsaking and betrayal and pain and heartache and grief. There were, there were moments I, I, I wanted to kill myself. There were moments I wanted to quit. There were moments I'm done. I'd, I'd want to take my, my truck and drive it into a wall. These the temptations, right? I know preachers not supposed to say this, but we're just like you. Prayed every day. I couldn't sleep at night. Because of the strategies that were working against me. Strategies of hell against our church and against our ministry. And my mind would never settle. It would never rest. I would lay there in the, in the bed, my mind racing. What are they doing? How do I counter it? God, why do you have me just laying here? What can I do? What can I do? And he would just say, be still. I can't. I can't be still. And I'd get so agitated, and I would get up, and I would go into a little office off of my bedroom, and I would sit in there, and I would pray, and I would cry, and I would, I would just throw all this at God's feet and wonder where his love was for me, wondered where his care was for me. And then God started exposing me. He started showing me what I was. Oh, dear God, that was hard to bear. I fooled myself. I wasn't anything I thought I was. Full of pride, full of prejudice, full of anger. I didn't know God like I thought I did. I sure didn't love him like I thought I did. And then I would lay there on the floor just saying, God, why do you even care? I don't deserve anything. I'm, I've, I've been praying, when are you going to help me and protect me? And I'm just wondering why you haven't killed me. Why would you put up with a guy like me? No answer really came. But I remember one night, 
I went to bed. It was pretty late. And I woke up in the morning praying. The, the praying literally woke me up. You know, sometimes you dream. Sometimes your dreams will wake you up. This was prayer. I heard praying going on. And it woke me up, and I was the one praying. I was weeping. I was groaning. And the Lord spoke to me then. And he said, not because you're good, but because I am. And not because your love has been perfected, but because my love is perfect. Lee, do you know what this groaning is? This is my spirit inside of you praying for you. Son, that is my evidence in this matter that I will fight for you. My spirit has undertaken your need in prayer with groanings you can't utter. And I will bring to pass every good thing that has been in my heart to get, not because of you, but because you've been so broken before me. You've relied upon me and you've trusted me. And here was the thing that he said, you've let me love you. You've let me love you in your imperfection, in your corruption, in your filth, in your worthlessness. You've let me love you. You didn't try to make yourself better. You didn't make me vows and promises and tell me, give me a month, God, and let me prove to you how good I'm good. No, you fell in the horror of everything that you are at my feet, and you let me love you. And I knew his love. And beloved, I say to you today, whatever comes this year, whatever you face as a Christian, whatever comes and attacks your faith, whatever entwines itself with your emotions, don't let it separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Because that's the victory. It's not the theology of it. It's the reality of it. It's the truth of it. I could not describe to you how much the Father loves you. But he gave us an illustration He spoke to us somewhat um, romantically, if you will, in his word. And he said to the psalmist, I have kept your tears in my bottle. I have a bottle of water. Imagine that being your tears over the past year. Imagine in God's house 
a shelf. And the shelf is labeled with your name. And on that shelf are bottles with your tears in it. How do the tears get in that bottle? Well, I would just simply say, if it's going to happen, God has to get this close to you. Catching every one of them. And all those nights you said, God doesn't know. All those days you wept and you cried. You pulled your car off on the side of the road because you couldn't take it anymore and you were just weeping. God was right there catching every one of them. Not one got away. Called every one of them, every one of them. And God keeps, that's how much he loves you. I've numbered every hair on your head. I love you. I love you. Why did God have a bride Why does he want a bride? He wants to love. Why does God declare himself to be a father? Because he wants to love his children like a good father would. He didn't look at men having a relationship with sons and daughters and say, oh, I would like to experience that. No, he is the father. He's the mother who nurtures, who gently takes you when you're broken and you're feeble and your faith is about to smoke out. And he gently takes you and he lays you like a mother would upon his breast and he, he, he caresses you and he cares for you and he sings over you songs of deliverance and he whispers through you in the night, I've got you, I've got you. Nothing can separate you from me. I've got you. Why did God write the Song of Solomon? There's a book for you. Probably been a long time since some of you have read that book. I'll tell you why he wrote it. So dry preachers and professors and theorists will not tell you how to love God. But the passionate God will express to you, this is how I want to love you and this is how I want to be loved. I'm here. I'm in this room. I'm in your face and I'm loving you. And wherever you go, and others may forsake you, I will never forsake you. And I see Mary and I see Martha when a multitude of family and friends are around them because Jesus apparently failed and he didn't come heal Lazarus and Lazarus is in the grave. He didn't even come for the funeral. And I could imagine all of the sounds of the family and the friends. You know what? You just need to throw Jesus away. He was two miles away. He could have been here in a moment, could have healed Lazarus, didn't even show up for the funeral. And you want to tell me this man loves you? And here's Mary and Martha. I will not let a grave separate me from the love of God. Roll the stone away. I don't care what you guys say. Hear him. Roll the stone away. And Peter in his sin Cursed Jesus, denied Jesus. 
Even after Jesus told him he would do it, he cursed him and denied him. And he's back at his boats fishing. He went back to his business. He was done with the ministry. That's what that means. He wasn't just taking a few days off. I'm done with the ministry. Going back to my boats, going back to my business. Because no doubt in Peter's mind, God's done with me. But there's Jesus cooking breakfast on the shore. And John says, Peter, it's Jesus. And Peter doesn't even put his clothes on. And he jumps in the sea and he swims to Jesus. And I can just imagine Peter with every stroke, no sin of mine is going to separate me from the love of God. I'm getting back to him. I'm getting back to him. I'm getting back to him. I want you to stand with me. Now I ask you today, beloved, some of you are here this morning, and with all of my heart, I want you to understand victory. Victory is already ours, and it's something that's eternal, it's something that's precious, and it's the fellowship and the presence of God. And there are those of you here this morning, you hope in God's love, but you can't rely on it. You've heard that God loves you, but you have a hard time believing it. You got to believe it. And you got to do more than believe it. You got to let Him love you. You got to let God love you like no one else can. You got to be so in love with God that you just, times in your life, you're just laying on your bed and you can't sleep at night because your heart is just racing because His presence is there. You just think about it. Times you're, you're driving in your car on, on any particular day and you're just singing and you're worshiping God and you're overwhelmed with His presence and you just pull off the road because you can't see and you just sit there and you just throw your hands up in the air in the car and you just love Him because He's loving you. He's loving you. Oh, God. Forgive us for restraining your love. How great is your love? How true is your love? How steadfast is your love? Truly, you will deliver me from every evil work. Because nothing has the power to separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Oh, but God, I'm going to tell you, things have tried. But Lord, your love was always stronger. Not me. I would have run. I would have quit. I would have given up. I would have been filled with bitterness and anger. But your love did not quit. You kept me. You sustained me. He's done that for many of you here. That's the only reason you're at church today. It's the only reason, the love of God. You've been through a divorce, and it's painful. Don't let that divorce 
separate you from the love of God. Some of you have lost a life that's precious to you. You don't understand. You prayed, you believed, thought you had a word from God, thought they were going to be healed, thought it was going to be different, but it didn't turn out that way. And you've got a bitterness towards God. You've Your faith's a little bit weaker. It's hard for you to believe. It's hard for you to ask. You're a skeptic. Please, please don't let that death separate you from the love of God. Some of you have been abused. You've been molested. You're scarred. You're tender. You're hurting. You're so wounded deep inside. Don't let that abuse separate you from the love of God. Have the victory, have the victory that God delivers me from every evil work. What was meant to harm me, God has worked for good. If you're in that condition this morning, can we just draw near to this altar, just as though we're drawing near to God? And could we possibly just come and say, Lord, this is something that I'm battling in my life, but I'm not going to let it separate us. God, there's a confusion in my life. There's a hardship in my life, but I'm not going to let it separate us, Lord. It's trying. God, this is trying to weaken my faith, but I'm not. I'm I'm going to believe. I'm just going to believe in you. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to believe that you're good. I just, I want to open my heart up for you to love me today. Just love me today, Lord. I need you to love me. I'm not asking about the strength of your love for God because right now you may have no emotion. Your heart may be as cold, your spirit as dry as it can possibly be. Your hope is not that you're on fire. The hope is that God's love is perfect, and he will love you. Just come let him. Just come let him love you. Just come in the name of Jesus and rebuke the devil. Come and rebuke the enemy. How he's tormented your mind. How he's warred against your soul. How he's told you that God has failed you. The devil's a liar. Come and make a fresh confession as to who Jesus is to you. Make a fresh confession on the hope that you have in Jesus Christ of everlasting life. And your sin has been dealt with you. And your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that God will not forsake me on earth. And he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his rod and his step, that's the truth. I will not listen to these lies of the devil. I will not listen to them. Does anybody else need to come? Come on, just don't pass up this opportunity. God sent me here this morning. I had another message to preach. But the Lord said, there's people here that need this. They need my love. They need my love. Please just humble yourself and let God love you. Men, men need to let God love them. God knows what you do. God knows what you've done in secret. God knows what you've watched. God understands the deals that you've done. He knows, but let him love you. Let him give you victory. Jesus has dealt with your corruption. He's dealt with your sin. Come and let his blood wash you clean today. Nothing between you and God. Oh, how he loves you. 
how he loves you, how he loves you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving us the love of God. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us joy. And Lord, let us walk in faith. Let us as well run our course and finish the race and keep the faith. And when we're alone, stand with us like you did, Paul, and give us strength to, to keep preaching Jesus when everybody hates us and everybody's rejected us. Let us keep preaching Jesus. Let us keep testifying of your grace and your love.